Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I would turn in my paper, though I hadn't studied, though I didn't know the material, though if the teacher would have walked up and said, answer one of these for me right now, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I was still getting the A that they deserved. And spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus did for us. Y'all all cheaters, right? We're guilty. We sinned. We've blown it. And Jesus did perfect. And he's letting us walk in on his. But it would be like this. It would be like the person with the A saying, I'm going to let you write down all my answers. And I'm going to take yours. I'm going to get your F. And you're going to get my A. God gave up everything for you so you could have a hope for eternity. All the sins you ever committed Every evil thought and desire and every mistake was all nailed to the cross and wiped out forever. Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know how much you've been forgiven and how much God has planned for you. But you have to make the effort of knowing God more, of spending time in His Word and in prayer so you can fully experience the goodness of His blessings and His love for you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. If you follow the life of Jesus, you're looking at someone who, he came from heaven to earth in a human body and he never sinned. He never lusted, he never lied, he never stole. I look at when he braided up the cord and made a whip and chased the people out. Some people thought, that wasn't flesh? That righteous anger. Ooh, I want some of that. You know, It was a righteous anger. He whipped them out. They were in his temple taking advantage of the people for money and God made a whip and whipped them and put them out of there and it, there was no sin. He never sinned, not one time. So that when he would go to the cross for you and me, he would be the sinless, perfect lamb of God, take away our sins. God died in your place and he takes his perfect, holy, righteous life and applies it to everybody that puts their faith in him. And so what the law couldn't do, Jesus did. The law just could show me I was wrong. Jesus could make me right. He could give me a right standing. And so what God has done for everybody here that's believed in him, he's given us what we couldn't accomplish in our flesh. It's kind of like cheating on a test. Uh, when I was in school, I don't recommend this and I don't, I'm not celebrating it or bragging on it, but I was a better cheater than a student. And in certain classes, I got by almost completely on cheating. And usually what you needed was somebody smart that was willing to allow you to cheat. And me being the friendly guy that I was, it seemed like I always met those people along the way who had done the homework and would let you sit down and copy it on the way to class. And after they did the test, would just scoot it over like this and you could like look and write yours down. It was always somebody willing to do that for me. And I would turn in my paper, though I hadn't studied, though I didn't know the material, though if the teacher would have walked up and said, answer one of these for me right now. I wouldn't have been able to do it. I was still getting the A that they deserve. And spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus did for us. Y'all all cheaters, right? We're guilty. We sinned. We've blown it. And Jesus did perfect. And he's letting us walk in on his. But it would be like this. It'd be like the person with the A saying, I'm going to let you write down all my answers and I'm going to take yours. I'm going to get your F and you're going to get my A. I'm like, can we both just get an A? You know what I'm saying? But that's what Jesus did. Is He said, no, I'm going to let you get my A. Now I'm going to take the F that you deserve and all the punishment that comes with it. And obviously far worse than a school F. That's what Jesus did for you and me. And that's why the believer's life, that's why it shouldn't really be this chore where, man, I got to obey God. I got to room worship. I got to do this for the Lord. The more we really understand what Christ has done for us, it should be that the natural flow of the life of the believer is that we just love the Lord. 
We recognize how good he is, how much he loves us, how little we have to do with what we're receiving. How that in a room like this with all these different people, and I can only imagine all the different weaknesses and sins that exist, that there's not one here that Jesus didn't die for and willingly forgive and receive and love you. None. There's nothing that could have been done here that God would say, no, that's too much. You, you went too far. You know, anybody it's open for everybody. So the natural flow for the believer should be one where we just fall in love with Jesus for who he is and what he's done and what he's made available to us. You notice at the end of verse four, he said that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. And in the Greek, the word fulfilled means to be satisfied. And the tense in the Greek here is passive. So the righteous requirement of the law is being fulfilled, is being satisfied, but it's passive on my part. I'm not doing anything to satisfy it. Who did it for me? Jesus did it for me. So I don't get to boast. I didn't do anything to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus did it. So it leaves me as a believer as just this gift receiver. I've just received an amazing gift. I didn't do anything. I'm passive in what I've received. The experience I'm having is active. I didn't do anything to get this. He did it for me. That's important to know too because if I think I did something, then we'll become like Pharisees. And we'll walk with our noses up in the air and we'll be looking down at everybody around and we'll find fault with everybody that's not exactly like us. Did you do? Oh, you did. I don't do that. You become one of those. But when you know that you are passive and it's been done for you, there's a humility that comes with that. I don't deserve anything. I'm a recipient of great gifts and it should make you humble. And it should really encourage our witness. Since I didn't do anything to get mine, I could look at anybody and say, I know God will do it for you too. Right? I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I passively received an amazing gift. Let me tell you how. And we can explain it to someone else. And so moving on, verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. The key word there is set your mind, right? Those that live and the word live, live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit in both cases is habitually. The person that lives after the flesh nonstop, that's just how they get down. Habitually, that person has set their mind on the things of the flesh. The person that lives according to the spirit has set their mind on things of the spirit. So I would ask everybody here to consider what you have set your mind on. Have you set your mind on? Because understand the idea, if I set my mind on something I've willfully done, I've chosen to put my focus here. I've set my mind on this sort of thing. When you weren't saved, I know when I wasn't saved, my mind was set on carnal stuff. I woke up thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I went through the middle of the day thinking about it. I was set. I had goals. My goals were carnal. Everything was fleshy. God says that that's when you live according to the flesh. When that's just how you live, that's what your mind is set on. And so we can all just take a look. We can examine ourselves. The word of God reveals us. It, it shows us where we are. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so what's your mind been set on? I'm laser focused on this stuff. Is it spiritual? Is it carnal? Does it matter in eternity? Does God care about it? If you had to view it through that lens, would you want to stay set on it? What do you have your mind set on? It says the person that's living according to the flesh has their mind set on the things of the flesh, but the person that lives according to the spirit has set their mind on the things of the spirit. That also means, because that's not passive, that's active, right? I can choose what I set my mind on. Everybody's mind struggles. The mind is a war ground. It's a battleground. So your mind might just go somewhere because it's it had a lot of years of carnality. So your mind got some stuff in it, you know? 
You got to set your mind. Like, instead of letting it tell me what to think, I got to wake up and say, I, oh, nope, stop. Anybody ever had a flow of thought going and the spirit said, look at that. Oh, that's wrong. Bring that back. Don't go any further with that. I have thoughts like that. My mind will start going. And I remember at one point I was failing in this area and I found myself in my car having a conversation with somebody that wasn't there. And I was, man, I was just letting it go. And God was like, really? This is let it go. You let it flow all out. Right. And I realized that that was an exercise of my flesh. I was letting my mind just go. The Bible says you to bring your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That we're to meditate on the things that are true, that are pure, that are praiseworthy, that are of good report. I'm to choose to think on those sort of things. And so when my mind starts running off on some negative trail, God's like, you're responsible for pulling that in, right? You're responsible for saying, shut up, mind. Bring that back. We're not going to go there. We don't even know if that's true. You know, some people live their Christian life in that way, though suggesting things that they don't know for sure, making assumptions about people, not believing the best about people. I bet that they didn't say nothing to me right now because, you know, they mad because of, and they started dreaming up stuff and they just was busy. But you dreamed up 10 reasons why and, and everything else. You damaging relationships and everything. And God, if you would just obey the word, set your mind on things above, make your thoughts captain obedient, you wouldn't do that. Because I would say, I can't assume the worst. The Bible says I'm, love believes the best. So I got to just believe that they didn't see me. They was busy, you know, something other than something negative. We, that's how we're supposed to deal with each other. Our relationships as believers would be better if we did that. Right. Just gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. I never walk by anybody intentionally. But, you know, sometimes when I'm walking and I'm focused, I'm a man. I can't do three things at once. So it, it happens in my house. My wife will be standing there talking. And my mind is on something else. I'm not being mean, not being a bad husband, but I was already doing something. And she start talking, and she might go for moments, minutes, and then she'll finally say, Bill, look, yes, you got to start all over. I didn't hear it. Whatever you said before I looked, I really didn't hear it. And I'm not playing games. That's just how it is. My mind was set over here. Yes, you got to start all over. And so now she's learning. Call my name. Make me look. And like one like the kids, you know, look, look, guys over here, look at me and then talk to me. Because if you just start talking, chances are I don't have the multitasking button. I don't got it. I got one task at a time, maybe, you know, so sometimes it'd be a half a task. So when dealing with one another, right, we got to be careful where we let our minds run and where they go. The mind that's set, right? We don't want to set our mind on things of the flesh, things of this world. We have to be careful. We're in charge of how our minds get used. It's not passive. You don't just let the mind go. If you wake up and have a weird dream, you got to wake up and change your mind. Uh, it was a dream. Now you're in charge. So we got to be in charge of what goes on there. Verse six tells us why. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Just think about that. To be carnally minded is death. Death to relationships, death to everything else. But God said, look, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Who don't want life and peace? Everybody wants life and peace. And right here we get a little glimpse. How do I have life and peace? God says, live in the spirit. Don't say, set your mind on the things above. Be careful what you let your mind run away with. The person that's carnally minded, fleshly minded is death. That's what ultimately it brings. And you find people that are carnally minded. And that's what it is, death. Death to their own calling and purpose, death to relationships, death to many things in their lives. And God said, I wanted to do this, but I can't because your mind is stuck in a carnal place and you won't come out of it. So all that I would do is dying with your carnal mind. 
all that I want to do with you is dying right there because you won't let that go. But God says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so if you're missing life and peace, change your mind. And I can tell you to change your mind because God never tells us to do something that he won't empower us to do. And when he commands us to set your mind on things above in Colossians, that means that I can do it. That means that I have, with God's help, I can set my mind on things above. Looking at verse 7 now, it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And so now it says the carnal mind is at war with God. And this is something I was really thinking on this week, that a lot of times people will have this backwards, that we're spiritual beings who belong to God, and we want peace with God and we should be at war with the world, the flesh and the devil. That should be who we go to war against. And many times people have it backwards where we treat the spirit like the enemy and we treat our flesh like it's our friend. You know, your flesh is saying, let's do wrong stuff. OK, where you want to go, flesh? What you want to do, flesh? You want to do that? We, your flesh is, watch this. Yes, flesh. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> with your flesh, you just paddling around like it's all good. And, and the spirit say something. Who don't do that. Shut up. You just treat your spirit like it's the enemy, like it's the worst thing ever in your flesh, and y'all just chumming it up, buddy, buddy, buddy. And that's how some people have it. And so that's why they could be in positions to receive and all this, but when you look at the outgo of their life, it's like, man, what's wrong? Why is what's coming out so bad? It's because of how we're taking it in. I could be a carnal mind puts me at enmity. That word means at war with God. I don't think anybody wants to be at war with God. Uh, there are people that I wouldn't mind going to war with, but I don't want to be at war. Who's going to go to war with God and win? Nobody. You're going to lose. Bad. It's not going to be good. Nobody goes to war with God and it works out for him. No one decides I'm going to go in the opposite position of what God says and it works out. And I counsel for a while now and I've seen people decide I'm going to do this. I'm like, don't do that. God's word says this. And you just watch and you watch it and you watch people fail you you watch it look like it was working out and the boomerang comes back and everything falls apart and it's like you really don't want to pick a fight and be at war with God because sometimes God is patience and his patience you gotta let things go and people think okay see I'm doing it my way and it's working out but the boomerang is coming it's just going whoop, 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 whoop. it's making its way back it's eventually going to knock you upside your head so you don't want to be at war with God and so you need to consider that in your life what's your relationship to the spirit? Do you yield? Do you submit? Do you allow the spirit to guide you? That's where God's wanting us to get. The spirit of God lives in you and our relationship with the spirit, what we can do, how we can respond are different. You can yield to the spirit of God. That's a good thing. That means you just say, Lord, the spirit is leading me this way and I'm yielding. I'm going what the spirit is leading me to do. God's leading me to say this, to pursue that, to spend some time like this and I'm yielded to the spirit. But you can also resist the spirit you can quench the spirit and you can grieve the spirit. Those are all negative. I can resist him. Um, and if you want a mind picture, anybody seen the Heisman Trophy picture? You got the running back with his hand out. It's like the spirit is trying to come do something. You just know you're just resisting him. You can resist the spirit. No, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Some people are open about this. I know God want me to do this, but I, I'm just not going to do that right now. That's resisting the spirit. You're going to lose. Um, that you're not going to win. You're not going to resist God and win. Because even if you succeed at resisting him, you lose. Because what he wanted to do in your life was good. So you can resist him. You can grieve him. He lives in you, right? He doesn't leave. If you go somewhere you're not supposed to go, the Holy Spirit don't leave. 
He don't say, I'm not going in there with you. He goes. He's grieved, though. And just imagine whatever you do wrong, he's there. I give a vivid illustration because it's how it goes down. Imagine that you have a husband and a wife. Pick one of them to be the cheater. One of them's in an in a ongoing adulterous affair with somebody else, but the other person has to go every time and watch. And they can't say nothing. They can't. They just have to watch. That's what you do. The Holy Spirit is grieved. I got to watch. I can't leave. I don't get to be somewhere else. I have to be present while you do what you do. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving. He lives in you. So you can quench him. You can grieve him. And so you yield to the Spirit. You resist the Spirit. What is it? Grieve the Spirit. Oh, and then you can quench him. As quenching him and resisting him are similar where the Spirit is leading you to do something and I'm not going to allow him to do what he wants to do in my life. I'm quenching him. God's moving you to do something. Nope, I'm quenching that. I'm not doing that. Putting that fire out. There's a fire blowing in you to God. I'm stirring you up to do these things for me. Quench that. Put that down. Stop that. And some people on purpose. I'm going to get away from the people that are stirring me up. I'm quenching that. I don't want to hear no more Bible studies about it. Some people are trying to shut God out. You can quench the spirit. So those are all the things that you can do. And what's recommended, because these are the positives. You can yield to the spirit. You can be led by the spirit. Ephesians tells us to be filled by the spirit. And when Ephesians gives the illustration of alcohol, right? It says, don't be drunk with wine wherein it's dissipation. It says, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Being drunk, anybody that's been drunk before, um, you become under the influence of a controlled substance. So someone drunk under the influence of alcohol may do things that they wouldn't normally do, think things they wouldn't normally think. They're under its influence, under its power, if you will. When it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a nautical or a boating term. The same way that a sailboat goes, the wind fills the sail of a sailboat. It gives it power and direction. God says be filled with the Spirit. Let it give you direction where to go. But also he'll give you the power to go where he's taking you. So God said, I want you to be filled with my spirit. Let me guide you. Let me direct you and empower you to go in a new direction. And again, if I could share what I think is so beautiful about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God said, there's not really a lot of work on your part, right? If I just say, God, I'm going to obey. You're going to lead me. I'll go where you say. You're going to be the wind that fills my sail. I'm just going to allow you to direct me and empower me. We just yield and let the Holy Spirit have his way in our life. You realize it's not like God's not requiring you to, okay, I got to muster up the power to, you know, really just let the spirit have its way in my life. That's why I hate all the misrepresentation, misrepresentation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit starts to look like something that we muster up. You know, the spirit was really moving. Why? Because everybody was jumping up and down and running laps and clapping five. And that's human energy. And when we start to relate that to the work of the Holy Spirit, is that what the Holy Spirit does? Make people jump up and down church, fall over pews, and that's what he does? Or does he empower us to go out there and be a witness for him? Amen. Does he empower us to go out there and, and live in victory and have an impact on the world that's going to hell? Or the work of the Holy Spirit relegated to gatherings of believers with music playing at a certain cadence and people jumping up and down like that? <laughs> Just like that, you know? <laughs> Holy Ghost, you know what I'm saying? So, so I hate that stuff because, one, I've been in those circles and this is how real it is for me. I've been in those circles, in those churches, with those ministers and those musicians, and I know what it looks like after service. So I know there are people up there that were, man, it looked like the Holy Ghost was having his way. That'd be fornicating afterwards. We had a musician at the one place where I was at that could sing and play like you wouldn't believe. But they couldn't pay him till after Sunday night service because he had a crack addiction. He would be smoking crack with that money. And they 
ate them anyway. And I would look at all these things and just think like, what is it? What is the power of the Holy Spirit to do? It's not just for some musical you know, experience. God wants to move in and transform lives, you guys. And when I look at the word of God and I'm looking at people who I know were filled with the Spirit. And I look at what God did through their life. It was powerful. They weren't the same. They were the same person, but they didn't go the same way. They didn't do the same things and they didn't move in the same power. God had apprehended a life and he did something great. And that's something else you see. Those that were filled with the spirit, God was doing things through them for his glory and for the benefit of others that could not be done otherwise. And so you look at the early church and they walked in the fullness of the spirit and there was supernatural love. That they had towards one another. They weren't like what we see in a lot of churches today where there's bickering and backbiting and gossiping. And they were they loved each other so much that the rich folks sold stuff to, to make sure that the poor folk had what they needed. And no one told them to do it. They just said, we're just going to take care of one another. Just felt led to do so. Um, that was what was happening in the early church. They weren't told, let's go witnessing. They were just being a witness everywhere they went. It was so powerful that the enemy thought to stop them by bringing persecution. We're going to beat you and make you guys stop it. So they just converged on them to make them stop this stuff. And they made them run out to other places. And everywhere they ran out, guess what happened? People got saved. So it, instead of it backfired on the devil, I'm going to converge on them and persecute them to silence them and make them disperse so they can't be all together. Because they're only powerful together, but they got dispersed out to different areas. And everywhere they went, people got saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we say, just have your way in my life. We don't plan every day. You just be living tomorrow in accordance with the Spirit. It may be something as simple as what you do in your home. And God has you ministering to your kids in a way that has a significant impact on them. God may move on you and your job and just put someone in your heart. You need to start praying for them. Look for an opportunity to get with them one-on-one -on -one and just chop it up, share with them. You know, he'll just be moving on your heart. People to go, go, go talk to them. He'll be there present, moving in you. God will be cleaning up your life. Maybe you should put that away. You shouldn't watch that no more. That's bad. Look at the impact that has on your mind when you do that. He'll be there just talking, you know, still small voice. And when you begin to just yield habitually to the spirit, you'll look at your life and it'll be transforming. Like, man, six months ago, I was into all these things. And as I've been yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit, not religiously, it's not a religious, it's not because somebody yelled at you and told you, you shouldn't do that if you really love God. Just the Holy Spirit in you saying, I don't like that. That doesn't please me. And you saying, okay, Lord, I want to please you. So I'll put that away. What does please you? And show me what to do. And God will give you some new desires and some new passions and some new things. And you'll start giving your heart and your attention to those things. And it'll be fulfilling and edifying and everything else. And you watch your life begin to transform. And the awesome thing about it, the way God will do it, it won't be some religious rote. It won't be some legalistic thing where I got these rules and you shouldn't do this and do that and do that. It'll be something that God is just working within you. He's just going from the inside out. He's purifying you. He's changing you. He's giving you new desires and he's canceling out old stuff. And the thing for some of us, the stuff that God wants to cancel out that we sometimes resist letting go of, this is the hard thing. You don't get to find out what God was going to do until you let go. If you're over here holding on to some junk, and the spirit's been saying, let that go. Repent of that. Put that down. You know what's wrong. I don't like it. I hate it. But you're like, mm, but I like this. So I'm just tucking over here and I won't let I'm going to still have it though. But you'll never know what God was going to give you in replace of that. I said, I need to take that away so I can do this in your life. But you still hold it. You've been holding it for years. And this is what happens in church culture is rather than repenting, people get good at hiding. So I know this isn't right. So I just won't be public about it. I don't want everybody in my business. You know, I'll just do this on the low over here. Can you do anything on the low 
before the Lord. And where you go, he's there. So if God is telling you to let it go, forget about us. It's between you and God. God said let that go. And you won't know why he needed you to let it go till you get over here and have him let it go. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. Why wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word? On our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.